Welcome everyone to episode 18 of Down to Play. I'm your host, Dapper Tux, along with Next Gen Player. For this show, we'll be discussing the surprise Xbox Series S announcement and giving our reviews of No Straight Roads plus Giraffe and Annika. Let's jump in first with the Xbox Series S as it's been dominating all the headlines for the past 48 hours plus. The rumor mill around the console, codenamed Lockhart, has been turning for quite a while now. To the point that it's been turning for such a long time, people thought that the console didn't even exist. Then, there was a controller leak, and then an Xbox Game Pass promotional card that hinted towards a mysterious console named the Xbox Series S. Late Monday night, the console, price, specs, and release date was leaked by Brad Sams and walking cat on Twitter. I was about to settle in personally for the evening and then I saw um, within my Twitter feed a little bit of this information break. I couldn't believe it. The S was real. We thought it was coming. We weren't sure when but in the middle of the night a sudden flood of information. To follow up the initial rumors from Sam's and Walking Cat, Windows Central dropped massive bombshells announcing the November 10th release date of the Xbox Series S and X. Again, this is all rumor, so take it with a grain of salt, but it was enough to keep me up all night with excitement. The other part of the Windows Central report was Xbox All Access Payment Plans. This would have the Series S at $25 US a month for 24 months, and the Series X costing $35 a month for 24 months. Of course, includes the console, Xbox Game Pass, and Xbox Live Gold. The Xbox Series S rumors from Windows Central, it's an all-digital console with no disk drive. It runs at 1440p at up to 120 frames per second. So although it's a budget entry-level console, you get quite a bit cooking there with those tech specs. It also features DirectX ray tracing. This is a pretty incredible graphical feat at the $299 rumored price point at that time. The leaks that came from Walking Cat were a GIF that essentially showed the Series S slim profile fitting into the Series X, which showed that it was the smallest Xbox ever, up to 60% smaller than the Series X. Tons of details in the middle of the night, like I said before, from unconfirmed sources. It was also rumored to sport a custom 512 NVMe SSD, 4K streaming for media playback, 4K upscaling for games, and all this for a relatively cheap 299 USD. As the first, first light shone over North America, Microsoft came out and confirmed some of these details. Next Gen, what do you have for us in terms of the actual facts that cut through the fiction? What a night. I, I was just like you. I was sitting at home. I thought it would just be a casual night of playing some video games, relaxing with my family. But bam, we got we got yeah. the triple whammy of Brad, Brad Sam's Walking Cat, Windows Central. Microsoft is awesome because they owned it, right? Like they they their social media team woke up this morning, looked at all of these announcements that had apparently leaked by by these three individuals and just said, "Let's own this. Like let's let's just get it out there." So they they actually posted a bunch of funny tweets of just like there was one uh, like a reaction gift of like a, a shocked face and then um xbox game pass on twitter was was super funny 
because they're just like I think they said something like "Good morning, uh, hey everyone, what did we miss?" <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, you you missed a lot. I'll tell you that much. Microsoft just started tweeting like crazy all of these things that they're confirming. They confirmed uh, the two ninety nine suggested retail price, the sixty percent smaller than Xbox Series X. Yeah, and even Aaron Greenberg came out and said that. He's tried this with the Series S. He says he's taken this next-gen piece of hardware and put it into a backpack with room to spare, which is pretty cool. Like an unofficial, official little tidbit from uh, Xbox's uh, lead of marketing there. So I love the, I love how small it is. That's pretty cool. The one thing that you have to absolutely give Microsoft props for is they are as I'm just gonna flat out say it. As far as I can see, they're they're the best at making consoles. Sorry, I have an Xbox One S and I've got an Xbox One X. Um, the consoles look great. They sound super quiet. They don't get hot. Like they're just they're just powerful, small, sleek beasts. And the build quality, I find, you know, not to call out anyone else in, in particular, but I find other hardware from the past and present kind of squeaky sounding. Where when I pick up my Xbox, especially my One X, that thing's got some heft to it and it's it's solid as a rock. I'm looking at all these, these features. I'm going to get into some of them in, in just a second. But I'm looking at this list here and I think... Microsoft are a bunch of wizards like they they must have magical powers because how <laughs> do you pack all this stuff into a next gen console for 299 I don't get it I don't you 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 mentioned stuff like it's got an SSD it's got um you know it, um it's got ray tracing it, it can do 1440p up to 120 frames per second um, it's got 4K streaming. It's got 4K upscaling. The components of this machine would be more than 299. You would think, like, way more than 299. They know how to make high-powered consoles as cheaply as possible. Um, but yeah, getting into some of the the other features that they announced. So they said that the Xbox Velocity architecture is uh, is going to be uh, compatible with the Xbox Series S. Um, I don't really know all the finer details about the velocity architecture. I've, I've read up on it. It kind of goes over my head a little bit, but um, but I do know that it's sort of a, like a radical reinvention of the traditional uh, input uh, output subsystems. So it just means like a hyper efficient machine, right? Um, and it's got the the Series S is going to have faster load times with the SSD. It's going to have steadier frame rate rates. Microsoft said. Um, it's also going to have the quick resume feature. So Microsoft announces for the Series X a while ago, but the Series S will also have that. So you can, I don't know that the exact number of games, I'm not sure if they've announced that yet, but you can pause your game, you can get out of your game, you can load up another game, you can get out of that one, and that you can do this probably for several games. And then when you go back to any of these games, you can immediately jump back to where you were, right? There's no no going back to the title screen, like no loading save files. You just, you get right back into your gaming. Um, so that is really cool. Um, it's also going to have ultra low late latency. Um, and then some technical things. They said variable rate shading, um, variable refresh rates. Um, but ultimately like, the bottom line for this console is that it is a next-gen console that is optimized for Game Pass. 
um, next-gen games and, in particular, digital games, because there's no disk drive for this. And xCloud. I think the big part of the exclamation point on the vision for the Xbox Series S is xCloud, because a lot of the experiences that maybe this hardware can't carry, xCloud will fill in the blanks, and possibly this delivery system it's looking to be where Microsoft is taking the Xbox brand in the future. And it's interesting that the Xbox Series S to the X, but I think the Series S is is a really, really big story here because if everything comes to fruition here, this could be like the, the, the flagship console going into the future when you think about where Microsoft is taking the Game Pass and xCloud. I totally agree with you. It's It's so ironic because we've been hearing about you know the power of the series x and it's always been the series x right from the very beginning of all these announcements but um but i i mean we don't have a price for the series x we're gonna have to assume like at minimum it's gonna be a hundred bucks more it's probably gonna be 150 to 200 bucks more i think you nailed it on the head and i was talking to a lot of other uh people and xbox experts and fans on twitter late last night and i do think yeah it's got to be at least uh 100 150 to 200 dollars more than the s otherwise i would feel that the s would be redundant if the x was too cheap so i definitely think you're right a 150 to 200 dollars more expensive than the s i think that's where you're going to find the x sort of land if i had to make a prediction it would be 499 for the x given what i see with the x yeah i think microsoft could actually get away with 600 bucks for the for the x right like because the thing it's exactly like what you said the thing is is like this s is their flagship console i mean even if the the x is going to be selling for 500 and this one's at 300 I can see a lot more people picking the three hundred dollar console. I mean, it's you're say you're it's almost yeah. half the price, right? You're going to get a phenomenal console. Like the thing is, like we gotta we gotta really differentiate between the hardcore gamer, the gamers that are on you know reset era and Reddit and Twitter twenty four seven, like gamers like us. Of course, we typically want the biggest and the best. A lot of us are probably going to end up getting the Series X. But when you're talking about like the audience out there, the the general audience out there, the Series S is is, is just going to be so appealing to them. They're they're gonna they're gonna know that all of their Xbox One games can carry over to this. You get four generations of Xbox consoles on the S. You're paying just three hundred bucks. You get to play all of the brand new games that are coming out for next gen. Exactly. And and think about it this way with a casual game or someone that walks into a store, maybe on a Black Friday or closer to Christmas or another holiday this year, and they say to a sales rep, I just want to play Madden or NBA 2K21 and I want the cheapest console that's going to do it the best for me. And right now with the way that Microsoft's positioned themselves, you're going to land on the Xbox Series S every single time. When you think about the, like you said before, the average consumer or casual gamer, the S is in a really good position to check off a lot of boxes. And another part of this too is you and I have been around for quite a few console generations. The difference $100 will make on a console's launch price 
can really just absolutely supercharge that manufacturer's horse in the race to, to almost the very end of, of that generation. $100 to $200 price difference between that them and the competition. It's massive. It's, it's again, it always shocks me how it, how big it can turn out to be. Perfect example of, of that is remember the PS1. So if you, if you go back, this was like, you know, 25 years ago, but back then, Sega launched the Saturn. I think it was for four hundred, if I recall, three ninety nine. And then this was at E three. Like this, everyone, everyone, you know, probably remembers this moment. But then Sony went on stage and they said, "Oh, by the way, we have a PlayStation announcement." And then some executive went up and just said, two ninety nine. <laughs> That's all he said. That's all he said. That's all. And, he he, said. and you know what? Yep. Sony, like they, they just, they just won. Like they, they, they took off they became who they are today and it was all because of the price and like we saw that last gen right with uh with, with there was a hundred dollar price difference with the xbox and the and the ps4 because connect was bundled in um like price matters huge and the other thing too that, that i just want to point out is that like when you're looking at, at the current gen consoles right you've got the ps4 and the ps4 pro you've got the xbox one s and you've got the xbox one x every stat that i've ever seen from from any of these tracking firms they say that the ps4 pro and the xbox uh, one x are, are usually roughly around 20 percent of the console sales yeah i've read i've read that exact same statistic 100 percent. yeah i believe it 80 percent are the base console so you've got like going into next gen it's going to be exactly the same you might have 20 percent, 25 percent maybe of the gamers that are going to really care about power and really have the ultimate system and they need the most powerful console so they're going to shell out and they're going to get that xbox uh series x but then you're going to have, you know, 75, 80% of the audience that exactly like you said, they're going to go into their GameStop. They're going to go into their EB games. They're going to just say, Hey, I want to play Madden. I want to play NHL. I want to play whatever. And then they're going to, they're going to get the S right. So I, I absolutely think that the S is, is like, this is the new, you know, standard bearer for, for Xbox. It's going to, it's going to sell more than the series X as far as I can see. And, and it's just like, what, what a power move and what a, what a amazing announcement, because I think that this is the first time, at least that to my knowledge of a new console launching with essentially two different SKUs that have such radical differences. Like last gen when we're talking, if you're talking about say like the Xbox uh, 360 or the PS3, you had different versions that had say like a 20 gigabyte hard drive or a 60 gigabyte hard drive. But that was like that was pretty much it. It was the hard drive that was the big difference. This time you've got literally like, you know, I don't think we've seen the final specs for um, Xbox Series S, but it's going to be very different than Xbox One X. So. Um, like totally new. This is a precedent in gaming. Um, and I think that Microsoft is probably going to have a lot of success with the Series S because it just it just hits all the right notes for the right price. Yeah, and I, I think Microsoft is really smart because going back to the Xbox One S all digital version, it was almost like that they, they were kind of testing the market to see what the response would be like for Lockhart or the Xbox Series S as they formally announced it now. Big credit to Microsoft here. This is a real power move that I feel is going to totally turn, uh, you know, the next generation sort of on its ear. And just to sort of wrap up here, I do actually have a couple of, of questions or things that I'm thinking about right now. First is that Windows Central announced the November 10th release date. Um, I don't think that Microsoft has confirmed that yet. I, I, I was looking on their website and 
on their social accounts. I, I haven't seen that yet, so I'm still wondering. I think the reason why they haven't announced the date yet is because if if the Series S is launching on the 10th, then obviously the X is as well, and I think they want to just you know control that messaging. So well, I'm still wondering about that. Probably it's going to be the 10th, but we still have to get final confirmation on that. And the other thing too, I guess, and I was also thinking about this with PlayStation, uh, because PlayStation is going to have their, their discless version of the PS5. But um, but yeah, what the one thing that I am wondering is, uh, is Microsoft going to have some way to transfer your disc-based games into uh, digital versions for the Xbox Series S, right? Because the Series S is not going to have the disc drive, and if you've got a collection of 360 or Xbox One games, um, what happens to them? Like, I don't I don't think they've answered that question. Um I'm not sure if Sony has either, so I think there's there's a lot of questions uh, in that regards. But yeah, I, I'm curious to find out if there's any way. I think um, maybe you remember this, but I, I I thought I remember the Microsoft Store had some kind of promotion where you could bring in your your physical copies of games and get digital codes. Do you remember that, or am I? Hopefully, I'm not making that up. No, no, you're right. They had something like that around uh, Halo 5. A lot of people were upset that it was a fully digital edition inside of the box. So you could bring in uh, your digital code or online. You had up until a certain point to register that digital code and say, hey, please send me a disc. Um, in terms of like that happening for a majority of the games, I'm, I'm kind of hazy on that. I know I can confirm 100% they did it for Halo 5 because a lot of people, when they bought the collector's edition, didn't want... Uh, a digital code they wanted a disc but i'm yeah i'm not too sure what they're going to do in that area one thing that apple computers has done is for example with their macbook air if you have a another apple computer in the house with a disc drive in it it can just kind of network like go over your home network and take the disc data and transfer it over but i would imagine that would present rights management issues so i don't know I think I think there is going to be some initial growing pains to going all digital, but long term, I think there's going to be a lot of happy consumers out there, especially with the Xbox Game Pass offerings and xCloud. Yeah, totally. I mean, like digital is where it's going. I think uh, most publishers that I've seen are are well past the 50% of their, their game sales are now digital. And I know that uh, like Capcom is somewhere around like 80% digital. Yeah. Sony is, is somewhere around the same. So yeah, I mean, like we're we're approaching 70, 80 percent digital for some of these publishers. And at that point, you just have to think like, you know, obviously digital is the future and, and you know, what's going to happen to physical. So a lot of questions. Yeah, definitely. Well, Microsoft's given us a lot of food for thought here with the Xbox Series S. I think for now, though, we're going to pull our heads out of the X cloud and back down to <laughs> finish the rest of the show. For our No Straight Roads review, we're going to be looking at a game where you embark on a musical-based action adventure as an indie rock band, Mayday and Zook. You lead a musical revolution against EDM Empire in No Straight Roads. After being unfairly rejected in their audition to join No Straight Roads, Mayday and Zoop uncover the evil intentions behind NSR Empire. It's now up to them to save their city from corruption. In the game, you enjoy fast and frenetic combat with a musical twist as these two aspiring rock artists fight back with the power of music. So Paul, what uh, what did you enjoy about No Straight Roads? First thing that I I loved about this game, it's very apparent uh, given that it's a musical based game, but the music in this game is awesome. It, it's There's a lot of indie uh, EDM in, in it. So 
um i i like edm music i think it's it's like it's really 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 catchy stuff and and the edm in this game is just really really phenomenal so um it's the type of game where it's like you know i could see them releasing the original soundtrack um you know on uh, on disc or vinyl and and it's selling quite well because it's really good and it's pretty cool because um like even with the boss fights and we'll get to them a little bit a little bit later but in terms of the music you're battling with like EDM versus rock. And I found that with the boss fights, it was cool because the EDM music would start to dissipate as you, the indie rock band emerge victorious and you'd hear more rock. <laughs> I, I like those little touches like that. Yeah. They, yeah, it was really cool. Like the, the boss fights I thought were really good. And you actually, there's a meter at the very top of the screen, right? That, uh, um, like when you first fight the bosses, it's on the far right side on EDM. And then as you whittle them down, the, the meter like slowly, slowly turns over to the rock side. Yeah, that, that was definitely, um, you know, a real highlight for the game. But I would say the, the next thing that I really liked about this game is the graphics. Like I just thought, um, it, it takes place in Vinyl City, um, which is sort of this, like, it reminds me a lot actually of Japan. I think they took inspiration for sure. Um, based on what I've seen, or or at least uh, or like East Asian, because it looks like some of it might have came from uh, Korea as well. Yeah, the boy band stuff. And I also found a lot of Jet Set Radio influences with some of the graphics, like the bad guys, good guys, took a lot from there as well. So Vinyl City is, is like this futuristic, um, very 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 tall buildings, neon signs everywhere. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's got a very, very colorful palette. Um, and, and just like, it looks great. Um, I enjoyed walking around the city. I, I took a lot of, uh, screen caps. Like I was just tweeting out a lot of the photos because there was just so many interesting locations to visit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's like, those were the main things that really stood out for me. Um, the story I thought was also pretty good. Um, it was, it was interesting. Like you, you're basically like, yeah, you're this indie rock band and you like there's this like nefarious kind of shrouded organization that controls Vinyl City uh, and they've banned rock music. The The leader uh, of this No Straight Roads organization doesn't like rock. Um, so she says like, you know, EDM is the only thing allowed in this city. And th what's interesting is that that EDM, I, I guess they've learned how to convert music into energy because edm powers this city and each of the districts has its own music artist that controls the power for that specific region um but one of the problems in this city is that the power that they're creating with edm is not enough to actually power the whole city so part of your job is you have to collect these like energy cell thingies and then you have to uh, go to various uh, objects or devices in the city that are that are not powered and power them back up. So you're you're like essentially trying to like re-energize the entire city all through your rock music. Yeah, as we say, so, re-energize the city through rock and roll. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's one of those yeah. over over the top stories. I love that part of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a, it's definitely a cool story, and the the you know the cutscenes and the voice work I thought was great. So. Um, yeah, definitely from an from an audio and a visual perspective, it's it's definitely up there. For No Straight Roads, uh, personally, I really enjoy the bosses. Boss fights for me sometimes they can be an exercise in frustration, but I really like the variety they offered. Um, I really like that each character had their own definitive uh, play style. 
Uh, Mayday was more of a heavy hitter where you had Zook, the other band member, who's about all about the light attacks and combos. The actual underground bunker that you're based in as well as sort of like your home base was really cool. The soundtrack for me was one of the biggest highlights. Um, I also enjoyed uh, playing some of the co-op with Dapper Jr. It was fun, but this kind of falls into my minuses as well too, is that it was really hampered by bad camera angles, which was unfortunate. Like the music in this game was tops camera angles sometimes ruin the experience and then the gameplay too it, it really hurt it where I found you know it was very floaty feeling almost like it was was not as responsive as it could have been but I did really like the exclusive three player mode that was packed uh, in with the Nintendo Switch I, I reviewed uh, this game on the Nintendo Switch so I was able to access the again as I said before the exclusive three player mode which allows you and another player as well as a third player to join your duo uh, in an assist role so I don't know. Uh, we've been talking a lot about what we liked about the game. Uh, Next gen. What are some things that uh, you disliked about it? One thing that I, that I didn't like is the so that the hub worlds look nice, um, as I mentioned. But the thing that I didn't like about the hub worlds is that there's not a whole lot that you can do in them. Um, there's a whole bunch of people that you can talk to, and there's a whole bunch of like areas of interest that you can go and just sort of like check out. Like, hey, what's that sign? What does that door do? Like, there's all these things. But the thing is, is that I noticed that they don't really do anything like they like a character will just talk to you for a second about random things and or checking out, you know, like say footprints on the ground will tell you, you know, what they are. But ultimately, it doesn't really do anything like that. They, 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 nobody gives you a quest. Nobody gives you anything as a reward for anything. It's just like you just kind of read it and you're done. And I just really got a little bit disinterested by the end. I just kind of skipped by npcs because i didn't really care what they had to say <laughs> i just wanted to go the bosses were the cool like the highlights so i want to get yeah. right to the next boss right um but the other thing too is that that was sort of a down for me was um the levels before the bosses um they they were okay you have essentially like you have to go through like a multi-stage level um it's a lot of platforming and just taking out like random enemies but um they weren't all that interesting. Like I kind of just wanted to get to the boss faster. They just kind of were time wasters. I thought um, I fought the same enemies over and over again. There's not a whole, whole variety of enemies that you fight. So um, yeah, again, it was just like there were, there was some filler. I thought like, I just, I wanted to skip past and just like, you know, let's see the nice, cool cinematic boss fights. Um, but speaking of the bosses too, like I, I did definitely enjoy the music, the visuals, and they're really cool, but but um, there were some gameplay elements that were kind of puzzling for me. Like, um, I remember when, when I fought 1010, which is the, like, the, the boy band robots, uh, I, I spent, like, a minute destroying all the boy bands, but then they kept on coming back because this pod thingy would drop more of boy like they would just like regen the boy bands and and you're back to square one again um but then i realized like oh okay so uh, you know the the actual enemy here is not the boy band members it's the pod that drops the boy bands so it's just kind of like like i mean i, f I figured it out after a minute or two but it's it's not like it's not very intuitive right and i remember like the last boss that that you face like they're the the boss is sort of flying in the air and you're you're on this like circular contraption thingy and there's like a knob around the perimeter that you have to just hit the knob and knock the knob around in the circle and then after after it completes a circle 
then the boss comes down and you can hit her. But like, I I didn't really get it. Like, why why am I attacking this knob thing? Like, what? Like, what's the, <laughs> like, what's the point? Like, I thought at first I I was like trying to attack the boss it, themselves, right? So there were a couple of uh, of things in the boss fights where I'm just like, okay, this is this is not intuitive. I wish there would there was a way that the it, like the game would draw my attention to these things a little bit more. Um, but again, I guess it's like a minor complaint because overall the boss fights are pretty like awesome eye candy. Um, and I had a lot of fun, but, um, but yeah, I just wish that that was a little bit better. Um, and then, yeah, the other thing too, I, I thought the game was actually unnecessarily hard at, at times. Like it's easy in the sense where if you die, you can just like respawn, um, which is, which is nice. It sort of like caps out the score that you can get for that level. But I found that the bosses, when they hit you, they take off like a good chunk of your health. But then there is ways to regen your health. But I felt that the regens were so weak, right? Like maybe if the regens were a little bit more powerful, I, it would have been better. But it's, it's like, I know with one of the characters, um, uh, like the regen, you have, you have like maybe like, you know, 30 bars of health. And each regen that you you do does like one or two bars of regen, right? Like it's it's nothing. It's like, come on, man! You gave me like three percent of my health back. <laughs> like, give me ten percent. Give me twenty percent of my health. So I like it's actually I'm not even really healing. I'm I don't feel like I'm healing. So so yeah, like it, uh, yeah, there are a lot of abilities that you can eventually unlock, and you can get powerful enough, and then you can go back and fight the bosses over again. But I just found that. You know, it was hard to get like you know an A score on the bosses the first time. I had to, I did like you know go back once I was a little bit more powerful and and to get that top score. Uh, next in, what would you score? Um, no straight roads. Definitely worth checking out. I'm gonna give this game a seven and a half out of ten. Nice. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty close to your score. A little lower at a seven out of ten. Wouldn't pass it up. Give it a shot. It's one of the few sort of unique and quirky games that come out this gen. Uh, don't don't pass by. No straight roads. <laughs> Next up, we're gonna have next gen review. Giraffe and Annika. The game is the first outing for Atelier Nimima, a Japanese indie studio. Annika finds herself stranded on an island of Spica, having no recollection of her past. With the help of a boy named Giraffe, she must find three special star fragments on the island in order to uncover her memories. Next, Jenna, what did you think of Giraffe and Annika? I wanted to play this game because I saw some trailers and I saw some images of the game and it looked really good. It looked, um, it has like a nice, like cutesy, vibrant anime feel to it. Um, it really reminded me of, of Studio Ghibli by, by screenshots. Um, so yeah, I was really curious to check this out and it's, it's a, a pretty simple game. Um, it, it plays heavy on the cute side. So definitely like super cute, super casual. Um, you play as a character named Annika who, um, she's got a tail and she's got cat ears, which is cute enough. And then, uh, and then, yeah, he meets up or she meets up with, um, with this boy named Giraffe and like pretty much every game where the main character has amnesia, your goal is to get your memory back. So it's, it's a very, like, I mean, it, obviously it's a very trite, you know, tried and, and done kind of tale. Like uh, how many, how many games have we seen the characters have amnesia now? Like hundreds at this point, <laughs> um, so I, I kind of like I, I wish that there was a little bit more to that intro that, than uh, than what it was, but 
Um, but yeah, that, that's the story. So what you have to do is um, Giraffe will take you around this uh, island of, of Spica and you have to go through three different dungeons and you have to collect these star fragments um, to help uh, Annika remember or get her memory back um, and figure out where she is because she woke up in this mysterious place. So um, what's what's really interesting with this game is that Annika has no ability to attack whatsoever. Um, so again, it, like it plays really into that like super sweet casual vibe, right? So there there is actually all the dungeons have enemies. It, it's all ghosts um, or mostly ghosts that uh, that attack you. But Annika has no real way to defend herself or attack back. So you are just dodging the enemies um, and there's like, they can obviously get you in and whittle down your health. So there's these uh, like regen spots where you can just sit and regen your health. Um, but then at the end of, of dungeons, you end up having a boss fight, but the boss fight ends up being a, a music rhythm game where essentially the boss will throw objects at you either to your left or to your right. And you have to just, um, you have to move with the beat and sort of like pop these objects so they don't hurt you. And every time you pop one of these objects, you end up hurting the bosses. So that's the game in a nutshell. Um, overall, I thought it was um, sort of like, I guess, a jack of all trades, but a master of none. Um, I, I I had some fun with the game. Um, I do actually think that this game, unfortunately, is probably going to be passed over by a lot of people because there's not really a lot of things that make it stand out um and and the game doesn't really try to push the medium forward in any way like it's just like it's a really sort of you know straightforward paint by numbers type adventure um so yeah that that's definitely uh you know something that i didn't like with the game but um you know in terms of what i did like i mean obviously the 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 cutesy aspect of it was really nice um but I would say, like, the two biggest highlights for me is the cutscenes are all done um, using comic book style. And the the artists or the artists for this game are fantastic. Uh, after playing the game, I thought, man, I, I kind of wish this actually wasn't a game. Like, I kind of wish this actually was a comic book or an anime. Like, because they were there. They were the main highlights for sure. And I wanted to see more of that, right? I want to see more content uh, from these artists. Um, and the other thing that I thought was really fun and interesting is that uh, all the dungeons will have a secret chest or chest uh, a little, uh, you know, outside the, the main path. Um, and when you unlock them, you can get some cat, uh, some cat, uh, sorry, some cat pictures or cat designs. So this this artist had created... Uh, it was something like 30 different uh, cat designs, but they all look really nice, right? So if you're a cat lover, hey, you're in cat paradise. Yeah, sounds like that. It sounds like tickle your feline fancy, that's for sure. <laughs> totally, yeah. And and uh, yeah, and this, like, the Annika character is just so cute, too. So I took a whole bunch of, of just, uh, you know, photos on my, I was playing this on, on Xbox One, taking a lot of uh, screenshots, doing some Xbox shares. Um, but yeah, in terms of what I didn't like with this game, it, it just, as I was saying, like, it's just sort of like run of the mill. Like there's not a whole lot that really stands out. The, the environments are, they look okay, but there's essentially the same thing over and over again. You see 
grasslands, you see hills, you see mountains, you see trees, you see waterfalls. Um, each of the dungeons that you go to seems to to repeat a lot of these uh, the scenery. So I don't know, like there's not a lot of visual variety with the game. Um, there's not a lot of enemy types. It's all just ghosts, really. And the like the the actual gameplay itself is kind of bland. <laughs> I hate to say it, but one one of the thing that I thought was like so strange with this game is that at first you can't even jump. Um, and the, and there are like the first dungeon like seems to have platforming elements to it. So you're like, well, why can't I jump? You can eventually like figure out how to um how to get past some of these obstacles, but you're after you complete a dungeon and you get the star fragment, you're given a power, and the very first power that you're given is jump, right? So it's kind of like I don't know, it's weird. Like the the second power up that you get lets you breathe a, a little bit longer underwater. So be, like initially Annika will drown within a couple of seconds, but then she can live a little bit longer. But these these power-ups that you get are sort of like things that are just naturally with you at the beginning of most games, right? Like why would you have a like a platforming type game that you can't jump? Like <laughs> I don't know. I mean God of War you can jump, but but uh that was that was uh you know that was more combat based. But yeah, I, I thought it was just like it was there's some really odd design choices with this game. Um I mean overall like I'm glad I played it because of of the comic book element that I mentioned in the in the cat pictures. I like collecting them. But um, but it's not like it's not super entertaining gameplay. Um, and some of the like the hub world that you are, are in um, before you get into the dungeons has a lot of really weird things to do. Like there was this one side quest where I had to locate five bunnies that ran away from their mom and I had to bring them home before dinner. Um, but there's a there's a day and a night cycle in the game. And if you don't find all the bunnies before you know, like, you know, six o'clock or whatever at, at night, then um, then essentially like the whole side quest just resets and you got to go back. You, get, you actually have to wait the next day. You have to sit around until, you know, morning happens, retalk to the bunny mother, go back out to the exact same spots where the bunnies were, you know, collect the ones that you found and then try to find the one that you didn't, right? So it was just kind of like, it wasn't fun. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. I just, I just didn't enjoy that. Um, and there's there's a few elements like that in the game where I'm just like I didn't really enjoy that it wasn't it wasn't that all that fun so yeah it's just um, constant fe fetch missions I can I can see how it yeah definitely can detract from the fun yeah and like and there was another uh, quest where I had to take photographs of statues and then I had to present the photographs to these NPCs but it, it like the instructions are kind of vague like there's there's certain ways that you have to photograph the statues but you're not really explained that um when you start the mission so I, i'm like i'm sitting there taking all these random photos and the npcs are not reacting the way I, i'm expecting them to and i'm just kind of like well, what do i do with this like can this game explain these missions a little bit better because i'm not really quite getting it um yeah so i mean like like overall i, I was i was gonna say like you know i am glad that i played the game but i think that a lot of folks are just not really gonna know about this game or be interested because there's just not a whole lot that stands out right there's no whole not a whole lot that i can sort of like say you know this is the one feature that you have to check this game out for yeah so if you were to score the overall experience what would you give the game out of 10 oh it pains me to say it but i gotta get this game a six and a half 
Yikes. Yeah. No. Yeah, I could, I can, I can, I could kind of see that what coming based on what you were saying about the game, but uh, yeah, you win some, you lose some, but uh, it does sound like based on the art style, it would be something interesting to experience at some point. That's game over for this episode. Special thanks to the publishers for providing the games reviewed in this episode. I'm Dapper Tux. And I'm Next Gen Player. You can catch us on Twitter and Instagram at Dapper underscore Tux and at Next Gen Player. We are always down to play. Thank you.